Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Word Processing. My name is Josiah, and I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. And today I'm joined by my friend, Staneric Armitage. And Staneric is an advisor to spiritual formation and an adjunct professor of pastoral ministries and educational ministries and leadership at Dallas Theological Seminary. That's a mouthful, Stan. That is. <laughs> He's also the senior pastor of Redeemer Bible Church in Dallas. And until a couple of years ago, Stan was also the director of spiritual formation on the seminary campus. And that's actually where we first met, I think, was through that program. Uh, you were actually my boss for a while. I worked in that department during my student days. And I've invited, Stan, yeah, I've invited Stan to come on and talk with us about the topic of spiritual formation in general, um, but issues of Christian identity in particular. Um, but before that, uh, maybe Stan, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone and, and tell us a bit about uh, more about yourself, your family, and a bit more about your current ministry roles. Sure. Yeah. The most important thing is probably my family. As you said, Lisa, we've been married for uh, a very long time, but not long enough. So, so we're keeping at it. Uh, I have four adult daughters, which makes me feel very old. Uh, my youngest is 19, and my oldest is 25. So I'm blessed with those five women in my life. And then we have uh, a backyard full of animals. In the middle of Dallas, we have alpacas, goats, llamas, chickens, ducks, which the church gets a real kick out of. And then the ministry roles, like you said, uh, for... Uh, eight years, I was the director of spiritual formation at DTS, and I transitioned to more of an advisor role so I could focus on being senior pastor at Redeemer Bible. Yeah, but I keep my my fingers in the classroom at the seminary as well. Nice. So as I said, we want to talk about spiritual formation. And for some people listening, that might be a new concept, a new term. And for others, they've heard it before. So I'm wondering, you know, if you could talk to us first about maybe what you mean by that, because I think if I Googled it, I would come up with a whole bunch of uh, different definitions, different methodologies, different views. So maybe let's start there. What is it? Uh, what do you uh, hold that it is? And, and maybe how we can differentiate that from maybe some less biblical, we'll call them less biblical understandings. Sure. And that's a great question. You know, my quick one liner for spiritual formation, it is spiritual formation is theolo theology lived out well, bottom mm. line. And spiritual formation, the, the phrase itself is very scriptural. We look at the writings of Paul, and over and over again, he talks about the Spirit's role in forming us into the image of Christ. So when we say spiritual formation at DTS, when I talk about spiritual formation, I mean the work of the third person of the Trinity conforming us into the image of the second person of the Trinity for the glory of the first person of the Trinity. Full stop. That's nice. it. Nice. Uh, when you type it into Google, you're going to get all sorts of different things, many that are uh, very mystic and float above and away from Scripture, and others that are very works-oriented. Mm -hmm. And we want to recognize that, of course, works is a part of being spiritually formed, but it is not works that save us. It's the fruit of what the Spirit is doing. So, drawing those lines to protect from drifting off the map and grounding ourselves in the work of the Holy Spirit is key. Hmm. So would you say that spiritual formation is a synonym for sanctification? Close. Hmm. Yeah. So sanctification is essentially 
completely pneumatological. It is something that is done to us and in us by the Holy Spirit. Where spiritual formation, we look at you know, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we see that Paul talks about it as being a present reality being worked out in the life of the believer. And then we fast forward to uh, Romans 12, and we love Romans 12.1, you know, to be living sacrifices, but we get to Romans 12.2, you know, do not be conformed into the image of this world, but be transformed. And that be transformed, it's a command. It is a command to us. Mm-hmm. So sanctification is wholly the work of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual formation, uh, whether or not it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to participate in the first place, or we have a responsibility to participate, from our perspective, what Paul said in Romans 12 too, we need to be involved in this. So spiritual formation is our living out what the spirit is doing in us. So it's more from our perception, a cooperative element. So you're really walking the line between complete passivity to the Holy Spirit just doing its thing and we do nothing. And right. then where we take the reins and we do everything. It's a spiritual formation is right down the middle. I would say so with, with the nuance that it's perspective, you know, uh, there is room for interpretation because scripture doesn't answer all of our theological questions in a nice, clear way. So there's no argument, Uh, but the Holy spirit is the one who does the work. But from our perspective, we need to get out of our beds and open up that book and enter into relationship with others. So there is the perspectival. I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. Theologically. How do I do that? Well, the spirit enables me to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's recognizing that. And the school there had developed when I was there, and I think you're still using a curriculum to walk students through this process. And one of the major and foundational concepts you explore in that curriculum is the issue of identity. And mm-hmm. that's one of the foundational things. So why is identity such an important concept for the Christian to wrestle with, especially when it comes to spiritual formation? Yeah, that's good. The question of identity is fundamental to who we are as humans. You just look at the history of philosophy. You look at the history of thought. The question, who am I, is foundational. And scripture has an awful lot to say about who we are. And so that first step of recognizing, well, scripture says that all humanity is created in the image of God. Well, that shapes so much of how we should think, not just about ourselves, that humanity uh, merits by being the pinnacle of God's creation created in his image. That is an incredible first step. And for those of us who have been given new life through the work of Christ, uh, we are in Christ. And that's not just an adjective, that's foundational. And there are so many things in our lives, some beautiful things and some very ugly things that compete to define us. And when we are able to ground ourselves in who we are as image bearers of God, and then who we are in Christ, we're able to recognize, okay, these things should not define who I am. Uh, So this grounding of identity is, I think, essential to growth in Christ-likeness. 
So let's, let's go there then. You talk about um, some of the f- ways that we are drawn away from seeing ourselves rightly. And being in that department that you've served in for so long, you've probably been on the front lines of seeing a lot of that. So what are maybe some of the common ways that you see uh, Christians getting confused about their identity and, and losing sight of the fact of who we are in Christ? Yeah, at the seminary, you, you ask the men and women why they're there, and they'll give you some amazing answers. I'm, I, I'm here so that I can become a preacher. I'm here so that I can become a teacher or a counselor. And those are all beautiful things. But it is so easy, particularly in the Western mindset that we all share, to allow those callings, to allow those beautiful things to become first and to not become something that we are operating in, but becoming part of who we are. So I find my identity in who I am as a preacher. But who I am as a preacher is not who I am. It's, it's what I do. And it should be informed by who I am in Christ. And we do the same thing with our families. We can say, well, I need to be an amazing husband to my wife. And you put that first. Well, if you put that first, so many other areas of your life are going to suffer. Uh, and you sitting as a pastor, you can make that the first thing. And that seems good. Hey, I'm, I'm pouring out my life for the men and women of my church, uh, glorifying God through the preaching of his word. But if you make that the first thing, that beautiful thing can become an idol and your marriage will suffer. Your other relationships will suffer. But when we ground ourselves who we are in Christ, all the other areas of our life, all the other roles that we play that maybe are dancing around who we are in our identity uh, are blessed and made richer because we recognize the core of who we are is in Christ, not in who I am as a dad or a pastor. And if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we often ground our identity in things that aren't beautiful. We, we make sin, we make our addictions, we make our, our habits the main thing. And we ask Jesus to get off the throne for a minute so we can worship something else for a while. It's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? That when I... Because uh, like you said, as you were listing those potential things that I can ground my identity in, a lot of them are good things, not all of them, but some of them are good things, godly things, uh, mm-hmm. th- places the Lord has put us. And yet it isn't until I actually uh, make those subservient to my identity in Christ that they actually flourish. It's, it's counterintuitive, right? It, it seems that if I really want to be a good dad, I've, I've got to, the more I pour myself into it, the better I'll be. And yet as a Christian, we would say, no, 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 not so quick make your ground your identity in Christ. And then the, the fatherhood, the, the husband, all of those other roles, whatever the kid, friend, uh, student, pastor, missionary, whatever the case may be, those flourish. Um, so maybe like practically, why, why is that the case? Why is it, what is it about putting our identity in Christ and making sure that that foundation is sure that makes those other things flourish? How does that work? Like so much else that Jesus talked about and Jesus modeled for us. He takes the, things that make sense in the world's order and turns them upside down. The last shall be first. How, how are you uh, best serving as a leader by being a servant? You know, the, the, the God who sustains the universe by the power of his hand got down on his knees and washed feet. He, he turns the order of everything upside down. And it's the same thing with this grounding ourselves in Christ. Uh, when we make that almost the singular only thing 
You know, if, if our love for him is so great that our love for our family seems like hate by comparison, you know, that tough teaching from Luke, what that means is my singular love and affection for Christ is going to cause me to love my wife in such a way that I'd be willing to give my life for her, to raise my children in such a way that I am not antagonizing them, but I'm building them up, that I would go to my job that I may not like, but I'm not working for the money. I'm not working for the status. I'm not working for my boss. I'm working to give glory to God. And because of who I am in Christ, my work becomes that much more beautiful. And it's a a good litmus test is take any aspect of life and say, all right, if this is the first thing, how do all of the other aspects of my life and responsibility look if I make that first? And so if I make my role as a citizen to be a good, faithful citizen to my community, the first thing, well, that can be a beautiful thing for your community. But what does that do to your family? What does that do for your profession? What does that do for your uh, relationship with Christ? But if you put Jesus in that center seat, uh, and in my experience, and I've wrestled with this for years, that is the only thing that causes everything else to flourish where you put anything else in that center seat, no matter how beautiful it is, something is going to suffer as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a beautiful truism. And it's, once again, God just reversing what makes sense in the world and reminding us he's, he's the one who's got this, not us. That's great. I remember, I think it was you also, that you gave us the litmus test of uh, removing certain roles or things that might be potential identity markers for us and and what that would do to us if that was taken away, Mm. you know, and to see if that's unrecoverable, perhaps that is a sign that that was a little bit too close to that center seat in your life. Yeah, that's good. So how um, practically, let's say I'm listening to this for the first time and I say, amen, like I want that. I want Jesus to be uh, in the center of my life. I want my identity rooted in Christ and all the other things serving that. How do I get there? You know, how do I take steps toward enthroning Christ at the center of my life so that everything else flourishes? Well, the good news, it only takes a lifetime to accomplish it. Oh, good. Yeah. So easy peasy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. And this is where that works element can become a problem when people think about spiritual formation, because you know, I'm going to say, well, we need to turn our hearts and our minds to God's word, and we need to live in that. We need to abide in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be living in a discipline of prayer. And people hear that word discipline, and they think, ah, you're saying that if I do these things, God will love me more. No, that's not the case at all. I think of uh, Psalm 86, you know, this, this beautiful lament where the psalmist is in this dark place where it seems like there's absolutely no hope. But that lament is riddled with verses of confidence that God will hear and God will deliver because his trust and his confidence and his affections, he says in that psalm, are for God alone. And I think our human predisposition, when we find ourselves in a difficult place, we will scramble and strive for anything that looks like it's going to give us relief or an answer to the problem. And all of those things are temporary and sometimes very unhealthy. Alcohol, uh, addiction to media as escape, whatever it might be. 
Uh, God alone is the one who holds us. So how do I do this practically? Uh, I would say to have a mindset like the psalmist in Psalm 86, you alone, O God, are my deliverer. You alone. And this prayer is his lifeline to the one who does this work. So talking about litmus tests, looking at your life, looking at your your passions, your hobbies, your affections, the things that circle who what you do, which one of those things could you not live without? And if you can identify one, okay, so has that become an idol? Is that something that's threatening who I am in Christ, the way that I'm living my life? We talk a lot about theology and, and scripture from, from the pulpit in, in our small groups, and, and that's good. But the Christian life is more than saying, yes, God is real. Uh, Jesus paid the price. It's more than saying those things. It's living in such a way that reflects that those things are true. Those actions don't save us, but that's what a faithful life looks like, and that's what we're called to, James 3. You mentioned earlier Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 specifically, uh, where it says to be transformed, and it gives a specific way to do that. It says, by the renewing of your minds. So if I want to shake up my affections, to align them with Christ, and not all these other things vying for my attention and my time and my focus, tomorrow, what can I do to renew my mind, like to, to... be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How would you counsel me to take steps even this week to move toward that? Uh, Well, one, I would ask what place does your relationship with God, uh, your, your affection for the son, what place does that occupy in your daily life? Mm. How would I know? How would I answer that? Yeah. Simply by asking, asking yourself the question, you know, you get up in the morning, what's the first thing on your mind? Uh, my first thing tends to be coffee. Uh, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Sounds like an uh, idol. It, it can easily become one. Uh, and we need to recognize that coffee is a grace given to us by God so we can be more alert and serve him with energy uh, and not allow it to become an idol. Uh, but that's exactly it, uh, is identifying those idols. What are those things that occupy our minds when we're about to make a decision. So I'm at work and I'm getting ready to file my expense report. Uh, What's the first thing on my mind? How can I maximize these receipts so I can get the greatest personal return from my company? Or is it, how can I glorify God through the way that I conducted myself in accruing these expenses? And how can I model the integrity that I'm called to as a believer to be salt and light to the world and to be living in a way that is above reproach. What filters are we running things through? You sit down in front of the TV and you pull up the guide to see what's on cable. Uh, What's the grid through which you make the decisions on what kind of media you're going to consume? These, these questions, you know, I could easily say, you know, just, just get in the word, spend an hour in the word every morning and that's going to get you on the right track. Well, I think that's a great idea, but it's more fundamental than I have a, a rhythm of spending time in the word, therefore I'm good. Mm-hmm. No, that time in the word, your relationship with the son, your sensitivity to the spirit, your desire to give the father glory, 
those things need to be pulsing through our day as we're having conversations with people. Um, right now, what we're experiencing uh, globally through this pandemic has put so many of us online in ways that we've not been before. And we're not seeing people face to face in the same way that we are used to. And it changes the way we communicate. So as we are typing things, am I considering, is this speaking the truth in love? Is this grounded in a God honoring desire to show compassion towards others? Or am I wanting to be right, advance an ideology that, may be good, but it's not scriptural. Uh, what is the motivation behind these interactions? And we need to regularly check ourselves. That's, I think, a huge first step. And that helps us see, well, what are those idols? What are those things that stop us from saying, my hope is in Christ alone? Yeah. So this is an incredibly practical issue. It seems so high-minded to talk about identity in Christ, but it really is boots on the ground, Christian living, uh, where your identity is, isn't it? Uh, again, encouragement. How would you talk to someone that's listening to this saying, life has not turned out the way I thought it would. I was really hoping, you know, I don't really like my job. My relationship with my spouse isn't that great. I, I, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. All, there's all these things that people listening might say, you know, it just if I could write the story of my life, it would not have turned out like this so far. Right. What is the good news that identity grounded in Christ gives to someone like that? And I think we can all relate to those types of emotions, but what is the good news of identity founded in Christ? Yeah. The good news, and it comes down to the gospel. It comes down to who Christ is and why he came and for what purpose. So let's look at the life of Christ. How, how successful was that by the world standards? How, how, uh, comfortable and profitable was Jesus. Fast forward to the Apostle Paul. Uh, how did that work for him? You know, the, with one exception, uh, tradition tells us the lives of the apostles did not end comfortably. Uh, we're not called to a life of comfort. And things aren't going to play out the way that we would write them if we were to write our own stories. And asking the question, why is that, I think is good. Uh, and that answer is sin. You know, we, we tend to believe the lies that surround us, and we, we create the idols. You know, John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol-making factory. We're always having our affections distracted away from who the Son is. You know, here's where the hope comes. You know, that, that sounds pretty dark. We need to look away from ourselves and recognize what has been accomplished by Christ and cling to him alone. Because this life uh, is beautiful and full of opportunities, but we also live in a broken world with broken people under attack by a fallen angel, and things are not easy. This is a blink in the eye of eternity. Who is Jesus? He is the one who sustains all creation. He is the one who is the agent of creation and the one who inherits all creation. Colossians 1, right? And who are we? Well, in Christ, we are co-heirs with him. We have an inheritance coming, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he's done and he is. And when we recognize my effort, my accomplishment, my striving 
it's, it's not going to accomplish anything apart from him. And I have a sure confidence in deliverance because of what he's done. We can have hope. Like the psalmist in Psalm 86, hey, I'm under attack by arrogant, violent men who have no respect or regard for who God is. But I know who God is, and I have reflected upon his character. And I want God to teach me his ways, spiritual formation, so that I might reflect his character in this broken world. We can be light in the midst of that pain. That marriage that is not turning out the way that you would have written it, what an incredible opportunity to sacrificially love that one so that the love of Christ might be seen through your life. And that's difficult. You know, take up your cross daily, die to yourself and follow him. No one said this would be easy, uh, but it's beautiful. And, you know, to be cheesy and to use an overused platitude, the retirement benefits are out of this world. You know, we have an inheritance as co-heirs with Christ to live in the presence of God forever. It's huge. Amen. That's a big conversation, a big topic, one that we've Mm. only scratched the surface of, I'm sure. But I want to thank you, Stan, for taking the time to spend with us and to, uh, to help us think through this a little bit, at least the beginning stages. I think it's really helpful. And I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen as well today. I pray that it was encouraging. It was challenging, convicting, and empowering, and whatever else the Lord had in store for you. And I pray that it, more than anything else, it, can, it helps us as a body of Christ continue to work in our lives toward Christ-likeness, uh, that he would work in and through us for his glory and by his power, propelling us forward into this world uh, to be his ambassadors as we're called to be. So until next week, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and yours. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.